Hi, I'm Shane Safir. And I'm Alcine Mumby, and this is Street Data Pod, where we dream with you about next generation schools that affirm, love, and value every learner. Here we have conversations about healing, hope, and listening at the margins. Today, we have two illustrious, amazing, beautiful Black women math educators coming out of Cincinnati Public Schools, and we are hoping that this conversation um, highlights the genius of these two women as they're leading math transformational work in a major urban district. We also want to explore how data is helping to shift the story of math pedagogy, and we want to invite a space of radical dreaming around a pedagogy of voice in math specifically. So we are super excited to have Dawn Williams and Crystal Watson joining our podcast today. Big warm welcome, Dawn and Crystal. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Okay, so Crystal, we're going to start with you. Crystal, who are you, how do you identify, and how did your own educational experiences lead you to become the math educator you are today? You know, I'm Crystal from Cincinnati. I show up into spaces authentically me. I'm a a Black identifying, multiracial, queer, cis woman, mother, wife, able-bodied dreamer. Mm. Um, And I, all the time... I tell folks that I am going to have the audacity to dream as big as I want Mm. to. But I didn't always feel like I belonged, especially in math. So when I had a chance to switch careers to teaching, I jumped at the chance. That's me, I am Crystal, the, the math educator that you can always count on to ask, what do the students think? love that question, especially coming out of math, like thinking, making thinking visible in math. Paint a picture of your classroom as a math educator. Like what would we see? How would we feel? What would be the vibe in your classroom? Oh my goodness. Um, So it's funny because even, you know, Mr. Lewis, which was my first principal, uh, he would attest to this. He would walk into my classroom and look around and be like, where's Miss Watson? Um, Because I taught middle schoolers and they were all bigger than me. And i nine times out of 10 be at their desks. We'd be sitting on windowsills on the floor. Um, we'd be outside. We'd be in different parts of the yeah. building um, doing hands-on things. Love it. So my class was never quiet. It was always loud. And it wasn't loud because we weren't doing anything. It was loud because we were excited. We were excited to talk about math. Oh. Um, I really encouraged my students to Um, interrogate the world around them, Mm. their community, themselves Mm. using mathematics. Mm. Um, And then also they were, you would hear feedback like Miss Watson, I don't like this activity or Miss Watson, can we do this tomorrow? Or uh, Mrs. Watson, such and such is not a good partner for me. I can't focus. Can I move? You know, you would feel a part of the community. I had an open door policy. I would tell anybody from the superintendent to the janitors to come in anytime you wanted to. Just be ready to do some math with us. All right. 
right. So, John, I woke up just like buzzing with excitement because I feel like we've been circling each other and Twitter and I just feel like I know you. You said the same thing this morning. I was so excited to get to build some connection with you this morning. So please tell us a little bit about who you are and how your journey as a learner coming up in the school system has impacted the work you do and, and how you show up and lead. So thank you for having us. So I'm listening to Crystal. Um, we both have on black and the same glasses today. <laughs> we did not talk before. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, she's saying everything that I want to say. We are just so connected. But it's truth. The way I show up every day um, as a leader is providing spaces for Crystal to do her thing. So she can show up and be crystal. The rest of our team can show up and be who they are because what we really recognize is that you cannot improve academics for students without being your best self. Oof. And so part of my leadership is providing those spaces where you can do that because soon as you step outside of that space, the work begins. Mm. And so you need to have a place called home. Mm. Um, and so as a leader, that's what I tried to provide for our team. My journey started um, before I got to high school um, was horrible. As a black student, um, I was always um, great in math. So I was a high achiever, but my soul wasn't getting fed pre-high school. Mm. And at the time, I didn't understand it. So that frustration showed up and talking back in, in the classroom, um, being antagonistic, um, pushing my teacher. Why? Um, I'm not doing any more math problems. I already done this and they are correct. So... Um, I don't do busy work. Call my mother. Um, so those kind of things. And I have a twin brother, but he wasn't in my class. I was the only black student in the class, the highest achieving student in the class, but was invisible. And in sixth grade, I was popping my gum and the teacher told me to put my gum on my nose. The only black student in the classroom. Oh. As I grew older, um, and I'm also a career changer, that stuck with me. And I always said that um, two things could be true. Thank God that I had a family that supported me. So when I took that story home, I knew that it wasn't me. But I was thinking about all those students that did not have that family to go back to and that changed their trajectory mm. for the rest of their lives. And I also said, if I can do anything to make sure that that black girl with them two ponytails who love math, but began to hate math because of the environment I was in could do something different. That's what I was going to do. And so mm. that's what really gets me up mm. in the morning. I'm just so grateful for your mom and your family, Dawn, that was able to surround you and provide that emotional support and resilience for you to show up and not be turned away from this as a profession and therefore provide those spaces for your leaders. 
So both of you all work in Cincinnati Public Schools, a diverse, urban, union-strong system, right? So tell us about the math innovation work that you are leading and how student voice and street data is showing up in that work. I'll start off with a question that Dr. Don always asks, how will that one child feel, dot, 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 right? I always think of the, the work um, as not being innovative, because is it really that innovative just to always center children? It's not that innovative, right? It's um, I'm sad that it's being seen as innovative because it should be the norm. We truly treat math as a social justice issue, right? So numeracy leads to skills and analysis and critical thinking, which also leads to generational changes, right? So being able to change the trajectory for generations to come. Um, I know when, you know, buying a house, my interest rate is fair. I know how gerrymandering works. I know how to balance my credit, right? Or my, you know, in this capitalistic society, we need all of those things. Um, when money is our, our litmus for a lot of things, right? Numeracy comes into mm -hmm. play. So mm -hmm. we really do treat it that way. I think one tangible um, item that I can offer is when we do walkthroughs, whether we're with the superintendent, um, the superintendent's team, or we're by ourselves, we're sitting with students. Mm. We hardly ever are paying attention to the teacher. We're mm. paying attention to what the students do. Um, are the students engaged? We talk to them. We hear them. They get to tell us whether they they're enjoying what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and engagement doesn't look like sitting and watching. Engagement is so much more. Um, and so while satellite data is like the thing that's talked about most widely, we often um, watch more like as a department, we inform our next best moves based on what we hear from students. Ooh. Dr. Don has a lot of systems in place within the math department where um, we've, we have to reflect on what students have told us, what we've heard from the streets. So really just a balancing act of um, making sure to center our students and they happen to be the most marginalized because 78% of our students identify as something other than white. Um, and we have a, a pretty large uh, queer population within our, our city as well. Um, so really centering our, our, our students at any given time, um, even when it, when it's during a time where we should be evaluating or, or, um, looking at the teacher, we really are centering the students. I think that is one of the most important pieces of our daily work is when we're in those classrooms to the point that we are, um, affirming that number one, we are visitors in our student spaces. So as we are in the classroom, before we sit down, may I sit at the table with you? Because I'm affirming this is your space. When the teacher is um, passing out a project or something to do, our hands are raised because we're going to do the project mm -hmm. with them. I think that when we talk about street data for us, that is so important. So our behavior for the time we walk into that classroom is all about affirming students. Mm. What do you need, students? Oof. How is it going? How are you feeling? What do you need? What can the next time I come, what would you, what do you need to make this experience a little better for you? 
in this space, um, historically, it hasn't always been student-centered. So all of our conversations, as Crystal talked about, we are always putting students first. One of the things that we did as we supported buildings with data meetings, before we even got started, um, we showed pictures of their students in their buildings. To say, this is, this is why we're sitting in this space. It's not because of the spreadsheet with these percentages. It's about these kids right here. So let's sit here in this space for a moment and remember why we're here. Mm. Um, and it changed the entire conversation in that space. And it really, for some, reminded them of why we are here. Um, the other thing I really, we just finished, I think our second or third street data book study. Um, and one of the other things is active listening. That is our biggest aha. Um, and so in that book study, we had the uh, participants actually sit face to face and practice this thing called active listening. Um and they wanted to grab their phone, grab their journal, grab their pen. And so they're looking at Crystal and I like nothing. We were like, absolutely nothing. Get your chair next to your person. Close. That's all. Um, and gave them a minute to kind of get their mind right. Um, and it was so uncomfortable. And so what we shared is that um, this is like a muscle. You have to practice leaders to tighten up this muscle because this, the information you get, if you can get this right, is that information you need to inform your leadership. And if you do not learn how to active listening and put all your cares to the side and really hear and listen for understanding, something might happen or you'll miss a important street data that you need to really and form your leadership. Yeah, so good. All right. So we're going to shift it up a little bit. So how do you see social emotional learning and math pedagogy and, and really equity connecting? And how could they not be separated? What do we get wrong when we try to like pull those things apart? Ooh. Dr. Don, you, you okay with me starting? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So I just want to pose a question. If you were to poll 10 people in your life and ask them about what subject brings them the most anxiety, what would they say? Math. Oh, really? <gasps> Math. <laughs> okay. That's my shocked face, right? Yes. So... I was going to say, I bet it'd be math, right? Yeah. And yeah. we know that through brain science, anxiety triggers like that fight or flight, right? So anxiety will trigger inhibition to reasoning. Um, it will trigger a, a worse executive functioning. It will trigger behavior um, that, that would not necessarily be there if we were not anxious, right? And I could keep going on. So when we're anxious, we're less flexible in our learning. Math requires flexibility in your learning. Oh, um, mm. So reducing anxiety can be done via teachers, like building that authentic and trusting relationships 
in order to ex understand the root of the anxiety, right? So is it because I'm, I'm afraid to make a mistake and look dumb in front of my peers? Is it because I feel like I'm rushed? Mm. Um, because that, that is the pedagogical work that I have to do, right? Um, but I don't know the pedagogical work that I have to do unless I ask. So if I'm just planning in a silo, and I'm planning alone without hearing from my babies, Ooh. if I'm not hearing their stories, like y'all said, I mean, how do I know that I might need to incorporate some mindfulness? How do I know that um, I might need to reduce the amount of practice problems that we have? How do I know that um, I need to model mistake-making? Like, how do I know those things, right? Unless I'm asking. Doing them in silos will continue us on this path of perpetuating who does math and who doesn't, right? So if I have more trauma and more anxiety, which we know happens in urban areas, right? With black folk, black kids, then I'm less likely to get to the, to the content if I am separating SEL and ped pedagogy, right? I could be with you all day and just respond to your trauma. So I've got to figure out a way in order to do that, do use trauma-informed practices along with SEL practices to get to the math content through my pedagogy because I asked you. And carrying that all the way back to the earlier conversation about financial literacy and gerrymandering and home loans, right? Like this is this is the structural equity piece of it. Let me just share with you all. So the math team could be in a space and we're talking and they are always like, why are you all always talking about social, emotional learning, <laughs> mindfulness, belonging? <laughs> you all are math people. They look at us crazy every single time. Um, and somebody said, you know what, Don, why don't you want to leave the math alone and really focus on the equity work? And you know what I said? I said the best place to do equity work is under the content of mathematics. Yes. For exactly everything that Crystal has just said. The other thing that we always push, SEL, if I'm really, again, speaking and attending to the whole child, I can't do SEL in isolation. I can't. And when you think of that math classroom, and you think, uh, and uh, Crystal mentioned it, and Zaretta Hammonds and the brain science and how black and brown children learn mm -hmm. in community, that's where um, the SEL starts to show up. They can't receive any mathematics until we attend to that community. Yep. Um, and not just yep. the first day of school yep. when we come back yep. from break, but every single day, part of our um, pedagogy has to be around continually to cultivate that community. But really that's our work. That is our work. Y'all, this is this is maybe my favorite question, but I don't think so. But because all of them have been really good. But um what does it mean to be a black teacher? and a black woman leader, and I'm going to add a black woman math educator in America today for you. Like, what, what does that mean for you? 
I am humbled and proud to be a black educator. Um, it is the best job in the world and also the most difficult. Um, and so even when you hear um, teachers are leaving a profession, um, even when you hear it's difficult, but think about everything that they have already done till they get to the point where I can't do anymore. That's right. And it's more than what a lot of people who have done, who have been doing whatever they do for a long time. So I just want to shout shout them out and the impact that you have on the future of this world. Um, and the I was thinking, what is the one word when I think of black teacher is love. Yes. Yes. It's love. And yes. that's the reason when I went to my high school and I saw educators that look like me. I felt seen. I felt valued. They checked me when I needed to be checked. They reminded me why I was coming to school and what the next step was. But they were also home and gave me a safe haven when I needed a minute to kind of figure out what I was doing as I was growing up. So for me, that's um, black teachers are everything. It's, It's not even a word. They're just everything. As a black woman leader, it's still love, but that love shows up in a different way. For me, that love shows up in service mm. and support mm. of the people around me. Um, and the difficulty part is I'm always thinking because I'm going to show up as myself, but I always think on the other side, do I want them to see me or my message? So I have to think about how I'm walking into this space because I always want them to, to get the message. And based on the room, it might I'm, it might look a little different. It's still me. But we always have to second guess that because we can't walk in a room and just share the message. It always has to be, let me have this meeting with myself before I go in the meeting, which is exhausting. Oh, we. Okay. So you say that our dynamic, I'm telling you, Dr. Nod and I are very connected. Um, and while I was mulling over this question, I kept thinking of Malcolm X, right? How he said the black woman is the most disrespected in America, but we are yes. also the most educated. Yes. Um, so with that, I love being a black woman and I am proud to be a black woman, which is also a revolutionary yes. act, right? Yes. Her lean away. She said that. Yes. Yes. Um, so in a space of being a black woman educator, I feel like we have the, it's a, it's a interesting space to be in. Cause it's like a both and right. So it means to be strong and also vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It means to be both hyper-policed and invisible. Um, it means to be, be both bold mm-hmm. and skeptical, um, but oh, to be a black woman, I'm. I there's just something. Um, it's it's just. I don't know. It's it's a succulence that I just can't even like wrap my head. You know, like I just love. It's not one word. It's there's not. no one word it's for not. it. It's so amazing. No, it's it just is. amazing. It is amazing, but it is also exhausting, like Dr. Don said. So. 
Um, I do realize that I'm in a privileged place. We have a large, large population of black women in Cincinnati public schools. Um, our superintendent is a black woman. Her, a lot of folks on her, in her cabinet are black women. Um, our, our managers, uh, both ELA and math are black women. Um, we have a lot of black women that are in principalships and um, teacher, uh, teacher specific roles, paraprofessionals, I mean, just everywhere, right? It also means, like Dr. Don said, having that conversation with ourselves. And she has helped me grow in that aspect a lot because two years ago, I'm showing up and I'm saying what the fuck I want to say. And whoever don't like it can just <laughs> swallow it, but they better not say nothing back to me, right? It was like that. And she's laughing because it's true. I love it. <laughs> but then she was like, right. Oh, but it. then she would take me back and she'd be like, okay, Crystal. And, and she said, do you want them to hear you or hear your message? That was always her prompt. Or she'd say, okay, take a moment, walk away. And then go. <laughs> so um, I'd, I've seen where my um, non-melanated counterparts have been able to enter a space and not even think about it. Um, but in Cincinnati public, it's even getting harder to do that because we question. We want to know. We want we want your message to be aligned with what's good for all of us, what's good for us, and what's good for children that look like us. Um, so I say I'm going to end with this quote that I saw. I can't. I don't know who said it. I think it's an anonymous person, but it said, "The sun does not ask permission to shine, and neither do I." And before we move on, I just want to shout out how affirming it is to see Black women in senior leadership because there are teachers. Yeah, you can do that. Here's a, here's a, you don't have to read it in a book. We have walking examples of how you can do in all of these different positions. And um, we always think, well, if I see somebody, if I'm a student, I need to see a teacher that looks like me. But think about when you are um, an adult in leadership and you see all these black women that are leaders, that same feeling. Like, you know what, and you know what, I'm tired today, but I saw a sister over there. She was still here. I know I can do one more hour. She's still here and she got way more work than I do. I'm about to sit on back down in front of my desk and give myself another hour. So um, it's a blessing, a blessing to see it and see it done with excellence. That's the thing. So they are modeling excellence in a way that just inspires you to get that one additional hour knowing you want to go home for the day. If you live in the Cincinnati area, I suggest you find yourself in the math CPS department. As an in the math department. Yeah. I don't even know how to teach I math, but either. I might just show I, up. I did not either. I'm just gonna tell you, Alcine, I showed up to I switched careers, right? And I showed up to the interview and Emily Campbell, which um she is the the um curriculum instruction person or the director now. And um I <laughs> I told her, I want to teach anything but math. And she said, what? She said, but we really need you in math. We need black, black women in math. We need them in STEM. Um, and 
why don't you want to teach math? And I told her I was a terrible math student. And she said, well, you'll be a great math teacher. Mm. And I said, you know what? Let me listen there to God. Go. And God told me, spirit told me <laughs> that I got this, like whatever I need. And then I met Dr. Don yes. and I felt like, I'm, I'm telling you, I was like, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't teach reading. <laughs> and now I am the assistant principal at Reese Price Academy. Yay! Thank you. So exciting. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Amazing. Very excited. And just, I'll say, can I just piggyback on that Black woman leadership? Speaking of uh, Crystal's uh, next best leadership moves, um, one of the things when we talk about uh, creating a space on our team, um, allowing you to show up any way that you want to. The first conversation um, I have is, what's your next best move? What are you trying to do? Um, and from day one, we had that conversation. Because as a leader, it's my responsibility to provide you the time and the space and put you in spaces where you can practice what your next move should be. Um, so, um, for me, and I think you and I even had that conversation. We did. We a did. win as a leader is not a win. My win, the biggest win for me is when the people in my family win. That's the ultimate win for me. So here's the lightning round, y'all. We need 10 words or less. Now, we're going to, you know, I don't tell black women when to stop talking. So, but, but try to keep it under 10 words or less, right? Okay. So here's the first lightning round question. You are called to listen deeply to someone, but what they have to say is triggering. What's the first thing you do? Let's start with you, Crystal, and then we'll go to Don. Ask questions. Implement my strategy for when I feel I'm being triggered so that I can listen without distractions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got a personal strategy. I won't ask, but you know. <laughs> what is a practice, a ritual, or way of being in the world that keeps you grounded in the face of oppression and resistance and the struggle for justice? Don. My ritual that I have to be in my space so I can be recharged. Yeah, I would say the same thing is um, finding, I love my porch. My porch is where I go to be recharged, but I also find um, spaces of community of like-minded folks that are working on the same things in the struggle for educational justice and, you know, just kind of word vomit and then get back on my feet. Um, and, and if I could just real quick to jump to what Crystal said, we also create a space on our team um, where we will text a word or word that means I need everybody to jump on this. We have just experienced something that we need to vent. So we've created that space for our oh, team as well nice, as we nice. do the work. Oh, I love that. All right. So what is one form of street data every educator should gather? We're going to start with you, Dawn. Um, to be able to actively listen to the students and then act on the data that you get and not just listen. Yep. I would just say qualitative data, T listening to deeply listening to students, community members, um, other folks and all acting upon it. 
All right. On the flip side, what is the type of data you feel is overused in educational spaces, Crystal? <laughs> um, standardized test data. Any data that is used in isolation to make a decision. Ooh, good one. And then lastly, a great learning experience will. What's the impact of a great learning experience for you? Dawn, we'll start with you. The feeling that I get from it, and it'll make me want more. A great learning experience will make me want to continue to learn. Um, it will make me want to continue the work, um, and it will re-energize me. Thank you. There really aren't words for how I'm feeling right now. I, I want to say thank you deeply from my heart to both of you for creating a home place with us this morning, for sharing your hearts and your stories and your wisdom and brilliance, and so grateful to get to witness um, and be a part of this conversation today that is going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Yes, thank you, Shane and Alcine. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for having us. Street Data Pod is executive produced and hosted by Shane Safir and Alcine Mumby. The senior producer is Jess Alvarenga, and our production manager is Jamie Valle. Thank you to Zoe Morgan for social media support, and a special shout out to Rocky Rivera for our theme music. If you want to get a copy of Street Data, visit Amazon, Corwin Press, or better yet, a local independent or Black-owned bookstore. At Corwin's website, use discount code STREETDATA, all caps, to get 20% off. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. And if you found us rambling or fumbling over our words, remember, we can't be articulate all of the time. It ain't a way, it ain't a way, it ain't a way. Amazing. I think we might have just gotten a, a podcast title. Where's Miss Watson? <laughs> it's like the best episode title. I love that. All the time. <laughs>